welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Welcome to the Mad and the Family podcast. I'm Miranda Spencer. Today's guest is going to discuss a new and more integrated way to understand and treat physical and mental ailments that has important implications for how we raise our children. We're talking with Dr. Patricia Rush, a co-founder of the Center for the Collaborative Study of Trauma, Health Equity, and Neurobiology, or THEN. As the name suggests, this nonprofit works at the intersection of science education and social justice, exploring and communicating the links between early emotional trauma, inequality, human development, and chronic illness. Patricia Rush, MD, MBA, is an internal medicine physician whose over 40-year career has focused on working with underserved populations and promoting universal access to high-quality medical care. Dr. Rush spent 20 years in the Cook County, Illinois health system, including six years as director of their emergency department, and ran a solo private practice from 2000 to 2008. Until her retirement, she was also an associate professor of medicine at the University of Chicago and now serves in the physician work group at the Child Trauma Academy, where she teaches neurodevelopment. Welcome, Patricia Rush. Thank you. What are some of the issues and problems with conventional medical care in America that led you and your colleagues to start the center? Thank you very much for having me today. Four of us healthcare workers from Chicago started the Then Center in 2017. We had worked in um, conventional medical healthcare uh, for over 40 years in Chicago and saw several problems that we did not think were going to be addressed. We were interested in promoting a patient-centered approach to medical care and also focusing on how the brain and body work together to create health or if disrupted to uh, what results in disease. But what we realized was is that medical schools and also schools of nursing, social work, psychology, were um, still using a very old-fashioned approach um, of seeing the body as a set of disconnected parts. The old model looks at uh, the brain as being completely separate from the body, which obviously makes no sense. And also we were concerned that the critical role of racial trauma and health disparity was not being taught. So after working within the system for many decades, the four of us decided we should start our own small nonprofit um, to bring a patient-centered brain-body approach into medicine. The conventional approach to health and to medicine in um, Europe and the United States and um, in many other parts of the world is to see uh, is to think that how we can become more advanced is to specialize by looking at individual organ systems and to assign each disease pattern to an organ system. Therefore, when people have, for example, let's say chest pain, the problem is thought to be maybe a heart problem or a lung problem, and they see specialists in these areas. The problem with that is, is that the body does not work like a set of 
separate parts. It works all together. And how health is maintained as a whole or health in any of these organ systems is really maintained through a regulated brain. So we decided that since there are thousands of medical articles demonstrating this connection, we would try to start our own educational program for medical schools and for um, the community. And so uh, what is the then center's mission and how does it work to address these challenges, especially regarding mental health issues? Our mission is to create a curriculum, a set of uh, lessons and basic concepts that um, can be used in all medical specialties, including um, for mental health and psychiatry. So we uh, collect and analyze uh, research. We um, provide analysis of this research through our newsletter and through social media. And we use this as an opportunity to explain complex ideas and why a when your brain becomes dysregulated, that can result in other kinds of problems. Got it. That actually leads to my next question. Uh, we hear a lot about the negative effects of ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, from abuse and neglect to divorce to poverty and discrimination, and how that can lead to mental health problems in youth and adults. But a growing body of scientific research suggests that early traumas also affect a person's physical health and that it does so throughout their life. And I gather that's some of what your organization works on. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? So it's only really by understanding that the brain and body are one integrated, unified system that we can make sense of any kind of distress or disease, whether it's mental or physical. And the way we do that is um, by looking at what helps the brain and body stay regulated and the importance of um, life experience, especially starting in early childhood. And so what researchers, there's thousands of articles now showing this, is, is that when there is distress or um, disruption of the child's attachment to their parents, particularly their mother, early in life, compounded by other traumas as time goes on, the brain gets dysregulated. It's unable to smoothly handle the needs of day-to-day -day life, and that dysregulation can start inflammation, which is the basis of most chronic illnesses. Right. But I also gather that the brain can heal and the body can heal. It's not um, a life sentence necessarily. Right. So our brain and our body are constantly changing and constantly adapting to the challenges that we see. So even people that have had very severe trauma, both physical and emotional, can um, definitely heal and lead a happy, healthy life. But the way that healing happens is by restoring regulation through the brain. 
Okay. Um, can you briefly share a case study that illustrates what you're talking about? Yes. Let's uh, talk about a case of a five-year-old girl that we'll call Bella. So Bella was referred to uh, the physician because uh, Bella um, got in trouble in school by uh, fighting with another five-year-old. And the fight was over sharing uh, crayons in the school. So the typical approach to this would be to think of Bella as having a, um, a conduct disorder. She doesn't know how to play well with other children or isn't paying attention or something like that. Might get diagnosed with something like attention deficit disorder. In fact, when we look deeper at Bella's history, what we find out is, is that her parents have had a very turbulent um, relationship. Her um, parents were separated several times when she was between the ages of one and three. She, Bella saw multiple different caregivers and um, therefore, um, and therefore was not able to sleep well. When taking uh, more of a history, we find out that Bella has nightmares every night, that she's unable to, often unable to calm down at home and at school. And so what we realize is, is that Bella's brain is dysregulated. She um, has developmental trauma from not having a smooth childhood and um, she just can't uh, take in a lot of excess stimuli. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, what, what is the best way to help Bella and to help the family and to allow Bella to be able to go back to school? And that involves a more complex evaluation to see how Bella handles um, input of noises and a lot of people moving around or whatever, can she make sense out of that? And then also to help the family restore um, some kind of smooth order and um, attention to Bella so that she can improve. And so in fact, when she did have this kind of evaluation, it was determined that um, Bella's chief problem was she was afraid of being separated again from her parents. And when that fear was um, processed through uh, family therapy and by um, getting occupational therapy to help her deal with her sensory questions, then Bella was able to play well in school and um, you know, go back to regular school programming without any medication. Right. So in the conventional model, she might have gotten, as you say, some kind of psychiatric label and possibly medication at a young age because right. the source was con um, of her problems was sort of con considered to be somewhat random or from some um, inherent issue rather than a more environmental cause. Right. So the thinking, the typical thinking is that there's something wrong with the child, that the child is broken or they, you know, have a, 
uh, personality disorder or something. But then if you look deeper, you can usually find out that, you know, something major happened. It may not have been any kind of violence or abuse, but just the unpredictability, the chaotic nature of her home life when she was a young child made it impossible for her brain to be deeply regulated. Mm -hmm. Um, The then model prescribes a more collaborative approach with the patient, in this case, Bella and her family, I would imagine, um, versus the doctor as an authority and the patient being more passive. So how does that work um, with a child like this and with any patient? The collaborative approach. So healthcare has to always be a partnership. Each partner brings something to the table. The doctor, the nurse practitioner, the midwife definitely has expertise in identifying um, patterns of uh, disease or um, dysfunction. But the patient, and in this case, the the child and the family are the ones who really hold the most important information. Only the patient really knows how they feel, what has happened, and what they're able to do and want to do to get better. Mm-hmm. And so part of the key of this model is to realize that the potential for change, both uh, making different choices, but also deep change within the brain and the brain networks is what really um, will allow the healing. And there's no way that we externally can really understand what's going on inside someone's brain without talking to them and really them, the, the patient or the family, they're the ones that really have control over um, what tests are done, what treatments are tried, and and what is the success. So let's talk about prevention and early intervention. Um, if chronic and other illnesses can be brought on in adulthood or later in childhood by childhood trauma, how do we stop that process in its tracks? How can parents and families recognize and deal with their kids' challenges while they're still in childhood? Right. So I want to emphasize what you said before, which is um, that it's always possible to change and to heal. And so when we talk about the brain or the nervous system, we're talking about uh, it's called neuroplasticity, that the brain can change. Okay. And so it's never too late, you know, whether the child is one years old or whether it's a 16-year-old teenager, um, it's never too late to um, get things back on track and for healing to occur. And so the most important first step after establishing trust is to uh, reestablish regulatory processes within the body. Number one being sleep. We all take sleep for granted, and because we have electricity, we're able to keep the lights on all night, the TV on all night, and and our sleep cycles can get very disrupted. There's excellent research that shows that um, sleep patterns early in childhood 
go on later um, to be associated with both physical and mental illness. Wow. So, um, so the first thing to do is to focus on sleep. And that usually means talking to the person, even if, even if it's a young child, and finding out why they can't sleep uh, at, if they're not sleeping at night or why they're sleep only in little bits and then waking up or they're getting up in the middle of the night and wandering around. And almost 100% of the time, that um, disrupted sleep, difficulty falling asleep is related to fear. And that fear is usually related to not feeling safe in the house or being afraid of being separated from their parents. And so, you know, then we get into complicated family issues because oftentimes the parent themselves has uh, fear or stress and is not able to calm themselves down. And therefore, the parent-child pair or the group of children all become kind of dysregulated and keep each other dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing is getting the parent calm and um, reconnecting the parent and the child and establishing routines that everybody goes to bed early and everybody, you know, and we try to do what, what we can to make the child and the parent feel comfortable and feel safe. Uh, following up to that, how can adults recognize and address the role of their own early life or ongoing trauma um, in their physical and mental health issues, not only for their own sake, but to be better parents? You addressed that a little bit just now, but can you elaborate? So, um, again, I want to say it is never too late um, to get uh, things in your own life or your family's, your child's life back on track regulated and calm. We're oftentimes with adults, um, if you're a parent, you're old enough that some of your early trauma seems like it's in the distant past. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, well, that was, you know, a long time ago. I'm not going to let it worry me. Okay. But the problem is, is when we have unprocessed trauma, it does it does worry us or we have messages about ourselves that we should be more perfect or we should do things differently or we should whatever you know have a better job etc and so so without processing that old trauma it's often hard for us to feel safe and when we have the extra burden of even if it's a joyful burden, the extra job of taking care of other people, particularly young children that are very dependent, oftentimes the parents' stress level just overwhelms them and they may develop a new chronic disease also. So let's look at the bigger picture. Um, can you talk a bit more about the health equity part of your name and the idea that it reflects more than genetics and personal choice? The goal of health equity is, is that everyone should have all the essential supports and services to live a healthy life and to be able to live our lives without mental or physical illness. The reality, which we are more and more aware of, is, is that um, people who are 
a target of discrimination, whether based on race or religion or um, sexual orientation, when we have the extra stress of feeling like we don't belong or it's harder to get essential services or a job or whatever, that extra stress on top of all of life's other problems leads to um, a huge burden of cumulative stress. The reality we know is, is that um, black and brown people in America on average live 15 years less than white people. So as you know, there's many studies showing that um, geographically you can live, um, you can have an impoverished community, um, you know, two miles from an affluent community and the life uh, span is dramatically different between struggling communities and affluent communities. So what we want to bring to the community's attention and to medical science is, is that this is not an accident and really has nothing to do with genetics. It has to do with life experience. And so by understanding the uh, concept of cumulative stress, that racial uh, trauma or discrimination of any type adds to the total burden of stress and therefore is more likely to interfere with sleep and with brain-body regulation, resulting in this huge disparity of disease uh, prevalence and uh, lifespan. Right, makes sense. So what can healthcare professionals, the government, even just ordinary people do to ensure health equity? I think it's important and it's good, especially since we're talking about um, families and parenting, that we all remember that our health really begins in early childhood. So an important step that the United States has taken this year is to add uh, financial support for young families. And there's also discussion now of improving the quality of health care, of child care and the availability of child care. So the first thing is to support young families, especially mothers, and uh, to make sure that um, that young family, those young parents are not struggling just to have a safe place to live, to have enough food to eat, etc. Second thing is to um, ensure that education is conducted in a way that children, all children are treated with respect and affirmation. So a lot of attention has come to the issue of bullying over the past um, decade or so, but we still are not really haven't made much progress. And um, what we know is, is that the school, especially for young children, is, is where they spend the second greatest amount of time. So if the school does not feel friendly and safe and um, fun and a place of friends, then this is going to add um, to the distress that the child feels, which then again ripples back to the family. Mm -hmm. What kind of resources do you have on the website that parents and families might find useful, or is it more directed at professionals? 
So we have a lot of resources, um, including a book and video section um, on the website where we have both scientific texts, but also um, general uh, texts explaining trauma, explaining the brain, and, um, you know, a different uh, brain-body approach to understanding health. We also offer a free newsletter, which you can sign up for on the website homepage. And we um, have weekly posts on Twitter and Instagram showing how brain-body regulation can heal and how dysregulation results in disease. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, is there anything else you think listeners would want to know that we haven't touched on? Because we still have plenty of time if you have anything to add. I mean, I would recommend uh, the new book on childhood trauma by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, which is called um, uh, What Happened to You. And in that book, um, Oprah describes various um experiences and memories she has from her early life and how that shaped her. And Dr. Perry describes um, how to understand her experiences through looking at the brain and gives a lot of good examples of um, how to improve brain regulation through regulatory exercises, including um, sleep and sports and family connection. Right. Um, Then is working with um, the center that Dr. Perry works at as well. Um, Is that right? Yes. As a, in a collaboration. Can you talk about that? So Dr. Bruce Perry is a neuroscientist and child psychiatrist, and he serves on our advisory board. Um, Dr. Stillerman and I, uh, both from them, have been studying with Dr. Perry for the last four years. Oh, so um, I understand that the Ben Center does collaborations um, with other organizations um, as well. Are there any projects going on that particularly pertain to uh, children and families, or what are some examples of what you all are working on? One of the things we're trying to do is create a... um, free public database on um, the impact of discrimination and racial trauma. And so um, we are um, gathering experts and uh, putting more uh, videos together um, that are available also on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, this has all been really interesting, and we hope to have you and your colleagues on another time um, in the future. So thank you very much for joining us. Okay, great. Thank you. Our guest has been Dr. Patricia Rush of the Center for the Collaborative Study of Trauma, Health Equity, and Neurobiology in Chicago. I'm Miranda Spencer, and this has been Mad in the Family. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.